0: Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another lockdown special of A Wee Bit of Everything with your hosts, Lewis and Clark. This week's guest on the podcast is one of our friends, Ross Hislop. Ross is a director at Synaptin, which is a coaching and neurofeedback service. Ross has 10 years experience in the field and specialises in addiction. He also has a wealth of knowledge on how the mind works and why we do what we do. That's why we've got him on the show today, to speak to him about the human brain and why we do things. And... The theme of today's podcast is Attitude Versus Talent. Some things to look forward to in today's episode. I believe that talent and ability
1: are slightly different. I believe talent is something that we are equally born with. Knowledge plus skill equals ability, right? And that ability enables us to perform. But while our attitude towards each specific task determines how well we will
0: achieve it, we want to find out more about the impact that your attitude and mindset has on achieving within your sport or in life in general. So, without further ado, we are absolutely delighted to welcome Ross onto the show. How's it going, big man? Are you well?
1: Really well, Lewis. That was uh, good to see the other day when we were uh, when we were both going round the courthouse, and um, I was doing a Facebook live, and a few people had uh, commented, "Oh, well, you met a runner." And you gave each other a hug and then looked at one another and went on all social distancing. I I know, it's it's just a natural instinct.
0: Natural instinct to give each other a hug and say hello. So it's a
1: thank you very much for having us
0: on. I know, it's an absolute pleasure. Thanks for coming on. So, to get kicked off, the first thing, could you tell the people listening a wee bit about yourself and what you do and what neurofeedback is? Because I can barely spell it, let alone know what it is. So...
1: Well, um, I've been working as a counsellor and a coach since 2008 and been offering neurofeedback. And Neurofeedback, without boring you with the science, is where you take an There, the brain creates electrical activity, and we can put electrodes on the brain and measure that electrical activity through what's called an electroencephalograph. Once we have measured that electrical amplitude in the brain, we can see where the brain is is making an over amplitude or under amplitude of electrical activity in specific brain regions. So each, um, should we call it illness or disease, be that depression, post-traumatic stress disorder, etc., etc., has a signature in the brain, and we can see that in an fMRI or an EEG. And then neurofeedback is where we take that information and we retrain the electrical activity in the brain through giving positive feedback and feedback
0: rewards. The same way you simply would if you were training for a marathon. Ah, that's very Mm -hmm. interesting. Sounds very very technical as well. How 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 many years training was it to to become competent in doing that kind of work? Um,
1: Well, I was in the states for a year training,
0: and
2: I've been doing it since two thousand and ten. So I've been at it a decade. Oh, decent. Sounds fascinating, Ross. I've never really heard
1: heard of that term before. So just in. Some of the big football pl- clubs that you may be familiar with, like Manchester United, um, uh, Celtic, I believe, or even have it had had used it. But yeah, you know, big teams. I'm not football minded, but who's the big European team? Um,
2: Real Madrid.
1: Barcelona. Madrid. That's the one. That's the one. Yep, they've been using it for for a decade. They were using it mm-hmm. when I was training in it. So
2: it's a way for people. Just... For... Good stuff. Uh, right. So. Question two uh, The episode pod, uh, this, this episode's about attitude versus ability. Uh, what one matters most in terms of achievement? Do you think? I'm interested to find out your thoughts on, on this concept of attitude versus mm-hmm. talent.
1: Right. Ability is a skill, a talent is a gift.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And Sorry, I was distracted there by looking out the window because I saw a little hand coming up the drive. Uh, aye, talent's a gift. So what I'm
2: wondering is, do you mean ability or talent? What's the, what one would you say is most important? Do you think when people are born with, do you think people are born, so, born right. with a particular talent, or do you think they can become it? Become a. So rather than de- rather than debating
1: the semantics of words, right? Um, I think that human beings are all. I'll, I'll, I'll explain it as simply as I can, right? i believe that human beings are like dynamite like a stick of dynamite and they're all full of potential but that will never be explored unless we light the fuse now dynamite i think you would agree clark and lewis has a powerful punch but it's the attitude one it's the attitude that one holds which means the explosion could have a far reaching potential or indeed cause destruction so the attitude and how you light the fuse is either going to make the dynamite have um, a destructive potential or indeed um, a very successful potential. Now, knowledge plus skill equals ability, right? And that ability enables us to perform. But while our attitude towards each specific task determines how well we'll achieve it, skill, knowledge, ability, it's a small fraction of the puzzle. You see, these are what I would classify as conscious companions. Okay? Whereas our attitude comes from a set of unconscious variables such as our belief systems, our values, our motives, our judgments, our ethics and our, our inherent standards. Our attitudes are a set of systems that have come to be through our conditioning and are almost invisible and have to trace their origins. As an example, as a child, I was told repeatedly that I would never be any good at maths. I ingested, I swallowed that belief. And it became a subconscious belief system, which developed my attitude of not trying at maths. Does this make sense? hmm yeah. So even when somebody asks me a simple arithmetic question, I respond by saying, I'm not good at maths. Now, a mentor then inquired to me, whose voice is that? So with the awareness, when I started to look inwards, I could see that that voice which I have as an adult was actually a voice from a teacher, which has now became my inner critic. Okay? Does that make sense?
2: Yeah.
1: If I approach a task with an attitude of not being good at maths, I've given up before I've even started. If I approach the mathematical challenge with a flexible attitude from the onset, the flexibility will determine a more successful outcome. Is that helpful? Does that answer your question?
2: Absolutely. I think, I think when you... When you look at attitude, I think it's someone's kind of open-minded approach to and willingness to learn. Um, you know, I think not necessarily talking about formal learning, but more talking about that curiosity um, about learning hey, well, something new. Curiosity. Be curious. Um, yeah. Not just it's not just learning for the sake of it. It's learning something that you're passionate about, and that's uh, something that something that definitely resonates with me. So no, you're definitely answering my question there, Ross. Well done. Yeah,
0: Moving on. Yeah, that was a, a, a good in-depth answer there. That was an, a, a good insight into to attitude versus ability. Me not being any good at maths. Yeah, exactly.
2: We've only got 10 questions. Is that, can you count to 10? Oh, so that's what's going to
0: Right, Ross. So how big a role do you think parents or your environment or your early childhood experiences impact a person's attitude towards... Learning or their development in a certain thing. What's your thoughts? Childhood, on Childhood,
1: childhood experience, and how that impacts a person's attitude towards learning and development. right so, or, or Like I
0: parents mean, or like the, just their right. upbringing in general. So that was just three kind of. Right, general.
1: got you. Right, right. right So as I mentioned, our attitude has been formed perhaps as our, our attitude has been formed, and I'm going to take a risk here and say probably from our. Our mother's third trimester in pregnancy, right? So when we were in utero, and this will be shaped and formed until probably about the age of seven, as Aristotle put it, really, really well. I love this quote: eh, "Give me the boy until he's seven, and I'll show you the man." Now, what is meant here? What Aristotle meant here was that when a child is born, they don't have any logic, or reason, or inhibitory processes. They make their needs known through primitive mechanisms such as crying and yelling and screaming and things like that, right? The only fears that a baby are born with is the fear of falling, the fear of loud noises. All other fears which we have are learned over the years via identification and association. So, from the age of zero to seven, a child is what's in what's called a hypnogonic trance, right? We're in a trance like state. The child develops a library. These identifications and associations, they learn that some are good, they're positive, and some are bad, they're negative. These positive and negative associations become the life script of that child. It is formed from what they know, but the child does not yet know right from wrong. Okay, so these identifications lead to an association which which then lead to emotion. For an example, if a child has a scary experience with a dog, the identification is the dog. The experience is frightening and the emotion is fear. Therefore, the script reads identification of a dog, which leads to the association of danger, that leads to the emotion of fear. During these early ages in their development, and their right brains are active, the right brain's the creative brain and the left brain's the logical brain and crucial thinking, that's not even came online yet, because they're not fully functional. It's during these formative years, this these as I call it, hypnagonic years, that the subconscious mind programme starts to occur. It's how people take on limiting beliefs and then sabotage their success, including the hurtful words of a tired parent or of a teacher that might have lost their patience that day. with a lasting impact on how we learn and the development of each individual. Now, that opens up a whole question about why does one boy who's brought up in a terrible environment and another one, yet one succeeds and one does not. And that's down to a, that's down to a whole other podcast to do with resilience. But... To answer your question there, the impact that our environment, the parent, the teacher, the environment that has is absolutely crucial because the child is sucking in information faster between the age zero and seven than it will for the rest of its time and its planet. So I think it's crucial, the, the models that we have around us.
2: I, yeah, think, I think... Yeah. Go. I think te- I think teachers, um, obviously working with we, myself and Louis, work with eleven eighteen-year-olds. A lot of the, the, the children in the school come with real kind of traumatic experiences in their early childhood, so we call that ACEs. Um, and I think you know the attitude that we show towards these kids that have experienced trauma uh, is really important that we are a role model with them and very positive. So um, yeah, yeah, you, know, you put that really well there. So, so,
0: in, nah, so what you're saying, between zero and seven, it's almost like a, a download state, isn't it? In the mind, I've heard that Absolutely. before. Absolutely. So it's can like you, a down, they're downloading you. all the information.
1: And very, 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 very quickly.
0: You know, I was I was listening to a podcast this morning, right? And Tom Daly, the, the professional diver, the Olympic oh, yeah. diver. Yeah yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And he was saying that coming up as a young professional diver, his dad would never put pressure on him. He would never give him diving advice, advice about how much sleep or what to eat. He simply let him figure it all out and look at the success that he's had. Like I think there's a lot to be said about about that as well, as opposed to being putting pressure on your your child and that to 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 be the best. Right. What, what's your What's your thoughts on that? Completely agree. I so it's it's not all about just forcing it down their throat and pushing them to.
1: Absolutely not. It's about. I think it's about so, inc- See what what we try to do is we try to place our meaning and our wants and our failures on our children. The things that we never did is as children or the chances that mm-hmm. we feel we lost, we then try and programme our children into being all of the above, rather than utilising and honing the skills that that unique child has of their own. They're not a mini-me. Good. Does that make sense?
0: Yep. Yeah, absolutely. But, a phrase I often hear at work is that I am or I am not naturally talented in a sport. Do you believe we are born with natural talent or that we are born with equal ability? I believe
1: that talent and ability are slightly different. I believe talent is something that we are equally born with.
0: Well, maybe I could think that then. Do you believe that we are born equally so that we can strive to be as talented as each other then? So your brains are born, are born the same, and then you can Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that talent that talent that we're equally born with. For a lot of us, as I was saying, it might go unnoticed.
2: Mm-hmm. Right?
1: For some, it might never get the light shone upon it due to circumstances. We're all talented. Every single person's talented. We're born with a gift. For some, it might be a natural flair to make people laugh. It might be arts, music, sports. We might be talented, you know, in many different ways. A talent. And I'm going to, I'm going to reflect some. Cause Clark said you like this, so I'll just use this again and be lazy and answer your question with this. If you look at a talent, it can be like a seed. And if I give you a seed, if I give you a seed, Clark, and I give you a seed, Lewis, and you carry it about in your pocket, nothing will happen to it. You could carry it about in your pocket for the next decade and nothing will happen to it. At the stage that I give you that seed, you don't know if it's an oak tree or a bamboo, a conifer or a pine. You can keep it in your pocket for decades and nothing will happen to it. But when you give that seed the right environment, i.e. soil, water, and light in the right conditions. It has the intelligence that's inside that seed, like the dynamite, to break out of its shell and grow into something much more useful than a seed. Ability is something that you learn. So to say that we have equal ability can only get to that point through challenging our constructs and moving beyond our sphere of predictability.
2: No, that's a good point. That's a good point. It needs a nurturing, nurturing environment to, for it to grow. Absolutely. So, Ross, what, you spoke to me a bit about resilience there. Well, you touched on it and said it was for another podcast. So just as briefly as possible, how important are role models for young people in terms of developing resilience?
0: Oh, how important
2: absolutely. Are, role, are a mentor?
1: Absolutely crucial. Absolutely crucial. Uh, role models are even significant people, as you said, mentors, support, mm-hmm absolutely crucial because that person in a roundabout way conscious or unconsciously holds you accountable right so it's crucial in how we learn and how we adapt to our environment because we learn through observing others behaviors others attitudes and the outcomes of those behaviors and attitudes most human behavior is learned observationally through modeling like when you were a wee guy if your mother or father drove You're sitting in your wee high chair in the back, looking over, watching how they steer, how they indicate. And you were doing that between the age of seven, so that programme was already set up for you. It's only natural that we can benefit from the encouragement of mentors and role models whose behaviours, words and actions motivate and inspire us to continue to learn, to adapt and to grow. To learn from the challenges and setbacks that those role models have experienced and how they manage them as an impact. As children, we initially learn right from wrong and attitudes which form our foundations. As teens and adults, we continue to hone our skills to control those impulses and delay gratification and start to mold resilience to whatever life comes and throws at us.
2: Mm-hmm. So a big part of it then is also about, like, a big part of wellbeing is kind of given as well. You, you spoke a wee bit about your videos um, earlier in the week, about kind of giving—it's a giving and taking thing, a relationship. So the more we give, the more we receive, as you said. So Absolutely. would that would would that be similar in saying that there are many opportunities, obviously, to give in small ways? Does that work with kind of your, your role models? Absolutely. And yeah.
0: you know, if we're not giving, we're taking. <coughs> yeah. We'll we Moving on it? then. Of course, a, a big a big challenge that we face in our job is obviously trying to change the mindset of the young people that we are teaching right because a lot of young people have got very fixed mindsets when it comes to when in our subject in particular I feel in sport a lot of people just shut off from it they don't have confidence in it what would what bit of advice do you think you could give us or people listening to help transform the mindset of a young person who has that kind of attitude from being a generally a fixed mindset to being more growth and being more open-minded to try new things
1: what I, I often think about this, this is something that I often ponder, you know, this this emergence of growth mindset versus a, versus a fixed mindset. And it's became almost a language now that's used in education and development and leadership. Right? So I do give that considerable thought in my own work. What I feel we need to look at here, first and foremostly, is we tend to look at a fixed mindset or indeed rigid thinking as being negative. So my suggestion would be, the first thing we do as educators, role models, mentors, is we look at that fixed mindset as being a protection mechanism and to be curious about what purpose that rigid thinking is holding for the individual. You see, all slaves want freedom, but when they get it, they don't know what to do with it. We've all become institutionalised to our own narratives living almost in a dark cave of rigid thinking but coming out of that cave into the light without the appropriate eye protection which i think you would both agree would be blinding before we transition to a growth mindset we need to we need to offer sunglasses to those that were coaching so that when we come out the light doesn't hurt our eyes. If so, and the light did hurt our eyes, our natural response would be to rebound back into the cave that we inhabited. Mm-hmm. You see, so I get what you're asking me, but I think we put far too much emphasis on the growth mindset aspect of things. Personal. Yes. this is personal. This is just my take on it. You can agree or disagree with me. That's cool. Mm-hmm. But what I think we have to look at is that fixed mindset has a meaning for that person because it's actually a protection mechanism so what we need to look at is we need to be curious first before we start educating about growth we need to start educating about why you became rigid in your stinking thinking because that, in mm-hmm. some levels protecting you because mm-hmm. as i said all slaves want freedom but when you give them it they don't actually know what to do with it the majority of people that win the lottery, for an example, that's never had money. It doesn't last any time, does it?
2: They don't know how to do it, probably
1: They don't as well. know how to manage it. They don't know how to manage it. So I think to answer your question, managing the growth aspect for me is somewhat more simpler than actually figuring out what the fixed mindset or rigid thinking is actually protecting you from. Mm-hmm. Because it's a safe yeah, sometimes,
2: man. sometimes I think with the, the growth mindset, is sometimes we can shove, shove it down the throat. Sometimes, so obviously, if you're, you're talking about coming out the cave and into the light, it needs to be a sort of a gradual process. Coming out the yeah. cave, coming uh, out the
1: cave into the light, and offering, our,
2: and offering our students a pair of shades so that they don't get blinded. And maybe bands, but with <laughs> <laughs> mean, the current such <laughs> right, uh. Social media, Rod. obviously, <laughs> talking about Ray-Bans, you know, you'll see a few people wearing the Ray-Bans and the sun, sun came out at the weekend there, has has its positive and negative effects social media, would you agree? Yes. It's even more evident during this current pandemic. Uh, can you tell us a wee bit more about your opinion on the negative impact that it might have on Maybe not their mindset, but young people's well-being, actually, probably. Oh, a bit goodness, anxious. goodness. Don't, don't, don't get me started on that, but there
1: you go. You've asked me the question. So the first thing I think of here is dopamine, and dopamine's the false promise of reward. Dopamine is a neurotransmitter, right? So it's a neurotransmitter that social media completely hijacks that pleasure pathway. And so modern, so social media is quite simply just a modern day love story amongst our young, mostly inseparable, with plenty of ups and downs in drama. We become identified with a growing number of likes next to our photos. And these likes, these likes that we get, you know, we're constantly checking our news feed to see how many people have liked our podcast, or liked our photographs or whatever. and That's hijacking our reward system in our brain. And... It lights up the brain's reward circuitry, which is called the nucleus accumbens, okay? This is exactly the same brain circuitry that's switched on by eating chocolate, winning money, or taking drugs. When we get something we want, the nucleus accumbens releases dopamine to reinforce the behavior. So it's part of learning, okay? The dopamine is that I've got to have it chemical. The release of dopamine feels so good that we're driven to keep doing whatever it was that triggered it. So for teens, the delicious hit of dopamine that happens with the growing likes of a photo can be enough to encourage the chase for the next social media feel-good hit. I see this as a particularly negative use of technology, not to mention the availability to start to compare yourself to other people. Now, we start to compare ourselves to a fantasy. We start to compare ourselves to these generally exaggerated happy lives of our peers, and then we look at ours as being less than and not as good as. So social media, in a lot of ways, set up a superiority, inferiority complex mm-hmm. amongst a lot of people. And from that, we're starting to see a lot of destructive behaviours, such as self-harm and at the far end of it suicide amongst our young.
0: Yeah. Do, uh, so, a big... Do you think that has an impact on, like, see, like, a, a young person trying to pursue a maybe not a career in sport, but try to do well in their sport. Do you think social media has an impact on that then?
1: Back to the resilience. If you're resilient enough to look at somebody that's achieving good and you want to find your magnetic north to gravitate your compass towards that person's frame of reference, then that's good. But if you don't, and you're not equipped with the resilience and the ability to gravitate towards those transmarginal depths of that mentor or other person, you'll get left behind because you'll then start to get into comparison.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So again, to answer your question, we then need to look at a much larger picture. Right.
0: Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Yep. Does that help? Yep, absolutely. Ross, I always remember when, when I used to work New Ulan when we were in the gym, it's it a story that's always stuck with me because every time I find myself doing it, I'm like, right, am I judging that person or am I judging myself? Because I remember you were telling me, a story about when you are getting annoyed at something, then that's, you're getting annoyed at yourself, that behavior. If you judge something, I can see it, with things that I do, is, my dad does, that annoys me. Like, I, I do that behavior as well. Like, so, right. my question with that, off the back of that um, story, you speak a lot about that and, and your work in some of the videos that you posted recently, how much do you think negatively judging yourself or others can impact your mindset and ability to achieve?
1: Well, as you've quite rightly said, we've all done it. We've all passed judgments and others on ourselves based on our biases. We've adopted these over a lifetime. We judge others privately, or as you've just done and you've told us publicly. But most of us, we judge ourselves in whole grudges that shape the way we move forward in life due to our inherent beliefs that we spoke about earlier on. Whether it's judging others or yourself or feeling judged, Might sound this might sound quite simple, guys, but the acknowledgement or acceptance of the feeling that you have will shift your mindset. We form spontaneous judgments of other people in situations which is mostly unconscious, that which is beyond our conscious awareness. When we can start to accept we're judging people, places, things, and ourselves, we can start to use it as a signal of a wound, a wound that needs to be healed. To answer your question, does judgment impact our, our success? A question to ask yourself is, what does it cost to hold on to the rigidity of these beliefs? Are these judgments holding us back from achieving a radical success or not? Awareness is the key to healing judgment. It's imperative that you become aware of the factors that affect your judgment and confront it. In addition, avoid the obvious triggers that create reactive responses. Triggers are feelings that cause reactive and judgmental behaviours. You know, a lot of powerful leaders are rarely, rarely reactive, are they?
0: So no, limit or reaction. avoid
1: the triggers that you endorse and judgment in your life that are within your control. We all know the factors that create specific reactions. For example, if you've got a colleague who always leaves you feeling negative, re the significance of that relationship. I believe that judgment separates us all from our goals the more time you spend judging the world and others the less time you have spending and achieving your personal success think of it this way guys have you ever judged other people in meetings have you ever passed judgment on people who are walking down the street that thought will separate you from your success become self-aware of the limiting beliefs that you may hold and how that feeling and how it's limiting you from taking risks judgment is definitely optional judgment It's also a defence mechanism as a result of being judged. For example, have you ever noticed somebody staring at you in the street or in a meeting and your automatic response is, what are they looking at? Mm -hmm. Rather than believing that they might be admiring you, your trigger, the way that you perceive that to be, then creates a narrative that they're staring as a negative action of you being judged. So you react. That reaction takes you away from being present which takes you away from achieving your goals. Our job as a role model is that we make a choice not to be a victim of the world that we see. We make a decision to ignore our reactive approach to judgment. Successful leaders that we are achieving to be, we need to remain unbiased in order to be effective when we're making decisions. Teach that judgment is optional and does not require a reaction. Judgment creates limitations. The more you judge others, the less likely you are allowing yourself to be present in the environment where you believe that you'll be judged. Successful leaders face unsolicited judgments constantly. By avoiding opportunities due to self-inflicted judgment, you'll totally limit your success. And that goes for us all.
0: I, I, I like the bit there where you said how judgment's a defense mechanism. because you see that all the time? Absolutely. Every time you point
1: a finger, Every time you point a finger, there's three fingers pointing back at you.
2: So there is. Right. Well, Ross, when I was uh, listening to you there, the kind of words that were coming into my head were leadership, self-awareness, uh, being present, noticing things. It's it's, a big, it's an important part of positive well-being. You know, just noticing what's going around about you. So uh, to take notice is, is also obviously being present in the here and the now, being aware of your mind, mindful of your, of your surroundings. Um, Even going back to the social media question, I don't think young people really are are present, or, are aware of what's going on around, around about them or inside them, for that matter. Because they're constantly on a, on a on a feed and scrolling and changing platforms. So I think that's a good point you've made in terms of um, well-being and mindset there. So number number nine, moving towards the end of the podcast. I read. am a big a, 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 a like quote man, as you know, Ross. Yep, yeah, you love yourself, your quotes. You're a quote yourself. On average. <laughs> on average you become like the five people you spend the most time with. So I'm what I'm wondering is, how much of an impact does your social network or peer pressure have on your attitude? Could you give us an example of a, a positive and or a negative?
1: The first thing that pops to my mind, and you know that I like my, I like my Bible quotes, is from the book of Proverbs 13:20, 13, 13, and it's a great quote and it says, walk with the wise and become wise for a companion of fools suffer harm, right? And that's old, that's thousands of years old and they were talking about that in the big book. When it comes to relationships, we're greatly influenced whether we like it or not by those closest to us. It affects our way of thinking, our self-esteem and our decisions. Of course, everyone is their own person, but we are far more influenced by environment than we think. While it's ideal to be closely surrounded by positive and supportive people, who want us to succeed, it's also negative. It's also necessary to have our critics. Emotional immaturity as a preference for positive feedback. As we start to learn emotional maturity, it's e- evident that we all need negative feedback so that we can start to make progress. It would be great if, we, if it would always come in the form of constructive criticism, but it doesn't, the more you put yourself out there, the more criticism you'll face. The doubters, the critics, and the envious are not going to change or disappear off the face of the planet. So if we wait for the hecklers to leave the audience before we start our journey, we'll all be waiting a really long time. Be grateful for them and use them, and use these people to sharpen our skills and develop a tough skin. What what advice I would have for someone who's listening right now and is struggling with this discipline and driving their sport of their professional lives, you know, is just to notice it. Just to notice that, you know, the hecklers are always going to be there, mm-hmm. right? And use them rather than use them as a positive, rather than to keep you going back further into the cave. Look at them where you can hone your skills.
2: I, I think I think it has a, a massive impact on even myself. Like having Lewis and mm-hmm. another friend that we've got on Twitter, kind of posting stuff about the workouts that kind of motivates you, doesn't it? For in a positive way, having having a positive peer uh, group. So. Oh. What advice would you have? You sort of touched on it there. Um, Can you just maybe briefly summarise it? What advice would you have for someone who's listening right now, who's struggling with that drive in their sport or professional life? What action could you take right now, Ross, once I've finished listening to this? Right.
1: I'm not going to give it an answer. I'm going to leave you with a quote. I'm going to leave you with a quote from uh, Theodore Roosevelt. Okay?
2: Mm
1: -hmm. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how strong man stumbles, or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood, who strives violently, who errs and who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming. But who does actually strive to do the deeds? Who knows great enthusiasm, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly. Greatly, so that is his place. Shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory or defeat.
2: It's my favourite quote. I can't believe you just came out with it. Superb, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's a great thing to think like. No, that's a great quote. It's, it actually reminds me of a, a good UFC fighter, Conor McGregor, who always puts himself into the arena and then um, comes back after failing. and doesn't shy away from it, so it's a great quote. Resonates well with me. I, mean, and I think that sum, I think that sums up your takeaway
1: message.
2: Yeah, uh, that's what I was going to say greatly, there.
1: You know, he who dares greatly. It's we're going to fail.
2: Yes, you just have the courage to give it a go.
1: You'll miss 100% of the
2: shots you never take. Absolutely spot on. Listen, Ross, that was an insight with great detail. Thanks very much for coming on the show. We're really, really fortunate to have you on.
1: Thank you very much. All the best, boys.
0: Take See care. See you later, Cheers, bye bye. Bye. I thought that was a very interesting interview there, mate. I thought he gave some really good in-depth answers to the to the questions.
2: Yeah, he gives a lot of detail, doesn't he? He's very, very meticulous in his answers. I remember when I was on my, my master's course, a few things resonated with me there, um, what he was saying, uh, in terms of f- the five ways to wellbeing. I-, I learned through, it was like a pub- public health programme that they ran through through the NHS, and it was on part of my literature review, and he spoke about basically all five of them. So the five things impacting everyone's personal personal and professional lives are connection, learning, exercise, Noticing things being present, basically, yeah. and given, so it 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 on all five of them throughout that throughout that uh, episode. And the thing that resonated me, resonated with me the most was the the fact that it was speaking about the social media and and how it has its positive it's positives and negatives. But it kind of went down the negative route. And uh-huh. what social media is doing just now is it's creating a a, a superiority. And inferiority complex um, yeah you're either thinking you have not you're not as good as them or you've not got what, not got what they've got or you mm. feel, so you feel inferior mm-hmm. whereas it's you know it's not it's not a, it's not a balanced approach which constant. causes impact on young people's mental health and it's constant comparisons right that's it say that say that well constant comparisons and it's causing a lot of lives in terms of not we don't know it's causing suicides but there's definitely
0: a lot of suicides happening and and teenagers just now, and I'm sure it isn't helping. Yeah, you know, ah, you know yourself, but like everybody's guilty of doing it. But like scrolling on Facebook or Instagram, you're always comparing yourself with, with everything that mm-hmm. you see on it. Like everybody's guilty of doing it. Well, why don't we
2: compare ourselves to what we were
0: yesterday and try and improve it? Yeah, means exactly. that a better way to do it? Yeah, and I think that ties in nicely with with attitude as well. Trying to improve <laughs> your attitudes because I think attitude is, in my opinion, I think attitude's more important than than talent. Because you can have all the talent in the world, but have no uh, interest in, in what it is you're doing, or your attitude could stink, or you could be in with the, with the wrong people that distract you almost. So it's all, so it's about having that attitude, having that discipline to to keep going with whatever it is that you want to do well in, and I think that'll that'll take you more more of the way than what talent will alone. Absolutely.
2: But I think I think the things that the things that cause zero talent are. All the things that make up a good attitude, being on time, your work ethic, yep. your willingness to learn new things, that open-mindedness, <clears> that, that doesn't cost anything. You don't need to be talented to do all the things that make up a great attitude. I yep, can't exactly. remember, there's, there's a quote,
0: 10 things that require zero talent, I can't remember all of them, but I'm sure you've seen it. Yeah, I've seen that before as well. I do, I'm a firm believer that not everybody can be the best 100 meter sprinter in the world, not everybody can be the best high jumper in the world, not everybody can be the best at marathon running in the world because their genetic makeup simply does not allow for that to happen but I'm a firm believer that you can get better in whatever it is you're doing like you can significantly improve through a good attitude and hard work and not necessarily having the 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 skills and attributes from a natural standpoint you can get better I know
2: know for a fact I couldn't do (laughs) the splits my genetic genetic makeup from my (laughs) groin isn't it flexible <laughs> enough
0: you've just got a fixed mindset mate just break your legs
2: <laughs> but it's so another great thing you said uh, fixed mindset isn't a negative thing it gives them a sense of security and um,
0: we should be looking at that
2: side of things rather than the growth mindset giving mm-hmm. that an area,
0: an area of focus great point yeah that was interesting so, yeah. so what was your key, key takeaway message? my key takeaway message is that you can always improve regardless of what it is you're doing like, if you're bad at maths, you can, you can improve it at maths. If you're bad at football, you can get better at football through, through hard work. You're not, your, your abilities and skills are, are definitely not limited. If you've got a good attitude and you apply yourself the correct way with whatever it is you're doing, then you can definitely get better at it. Top man, sounds great. What, have, you got, have, you get like, anyth- have you got anything in particular that stood out?
2: Mine would be the quote. So everyone go back and listen to the quote at the end. It's my favourite quote of all time and it's quite lengthy but it makes a whole lot of sense. It's a great story that uh, that it portrays and it really resonates with me. I don't know off the heart, but I'm sure they can go back and listen to it. But yeah, what you said was brilliant. Like, progress is key. That's that's, that's, that's all the brain craves. The brain craves progress. And as long as you make progress, even just something so small, Mm -hmm. makes a massive impact on your well-being.
0: Yeah. So I, I hope that episode gave you greater insight into attitude versus talent well, hopefully, and how different things can impact this and your ability to succeed, succeed in whatever it is you're doing. Yeah, we we enjoyed that, that conversation, that interview, and I, think, I feel like we took a lot from it I feel like I'll need to go back and listen to it again because a lot of the answers were mm-hmm. in depth, they were quite long so the beauty, the beauty of a podcast is you can go back, you can rewind it, and you can listen to the answer again and try and <laughs> digest the information, which is Always a bonus.
2: Yeah, there's a few golden nuggets in there somewhere. Um, Hope everyone enjoys uh, enjoys, the episode five of A Wee Bit of Everything. And we'll look forward to seeing you next time. Take care, everyone, and see you later.